Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Uh, if you're new to Bethel, my name's Dave. So glad that you're worshiping here. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, we often have new people stumbling on Wednesday night, and sometimes it's because your schedule doesn't allow you to be here Sunday morning. We recognize that our world does not protect Sundays, and so uh, you may not be able to be here any other time. We're glad you're here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. That's what we're going to be tonight. Uh, so if you're not as familiar with what we do on Wednesday nights, we're often going a little bit deeper than what we're able to do on a Sunday morning. If you don't have a physical Bible with you, and even if you do, I want to encourage you to pull up a, you can open up your phone. I'm actually giving you permission. You know, you've heard me talk about distractions with the phone. So you know, you know it could be a distraction, just don't let it be. But I want to give you permission tonight, go ahead and pull up BibleHub.com. I'm going to show you some things on BibleHub.com that are super fun for me that uh, if you don't know about them, that I think it's going to be exciting for you. If you've heard of them before or use them, it'll be a great reminder. I just, you're going to sort of look over my shoulder in how I, I came into some of the thoughts for tonight. But let me just read to begin with Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, that's you know, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you don't know where those are, near the back of your Bible, you just remember, go eat potato chips. Can you say, go eat potato chips? There you go. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Now you remember. All right. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances... Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Also for me, that words may be given to me, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. Okay, famous passage, right? Famous passage. So if you're like me, you come to a passage like this, you say, oh, I know this one. I know what's here. And you already have teachings in the back of your mind. Now, if you're a new believer, don't feel bad about that. If there's nothing there, trust me, it'll get populated quickly. And if you're following along with this read the New Testament once a month challenge that we have, it'll go in there faster than you ever thought it was going to go. But I want to show you how I at least find new things in the passage every time, even if I've studied it 35 times. And there's a little tool that I use that I want you to just kind of walk backwards into the passage with me. Last week showed you how some of the geography could kind of open up the world of Scripture and show you something new you hadn't seen. This week, we're going to talk about how language and how historical background can. We're just going to model that just a little bit. 
Okay, so BibleHub.com, I'm going to do my little weatherman thing. I'm going to pull this back just a little bit so Rick isn't blocked because I want Rick happy. I always want Rick happy. You happy now, Rick? All right, great. Okay, so uh, BibleHub.com, if you were to click, uh, I'm going to just point something to you right here. If you were to click right here, and it's very small lettering for you out there, I recognize. It's interlin is what it looks like. That's short for interlinear. That puts the Greek in the, in the New Testament, Hebrew in the Old, but Greek in Ephesians right next to the, to the English. And it looks like this. So free in your pocket, you have a word for word translation of the New Testament. Now, if you didn't already know that, that's worth the price of admission tonight. Now, some of you already know that. You're all nodding your head and you're excited about it. We'll use it more. But this is super fun, right? So right here, Ephesians 6.10, henceforth is the old English for it. Now, in most of our translations, it's going to say, therefore. Now, I know this is going to be kind of small text, so that's why I encourage you to pull out your phone. You can look at it right along with me. If you click on interlinear, type in Ephesians 6.10, you'll be right there with me. But if you look down here, it says, henceforth, and if you did click on this, it would tell you that means kind of from now on. So in our translations, it says, therefore, which has kind of that idea. But Paul's saying, look, from now on, since I've told you all of this stuff for the first five chapters of Ephesians, from now on, live this way. So therefore, in the Lord and in, uh, therefore, be empowered. That's the word here. Be empowered in the Lord and in the strength of the might of him. So when I was reading in the English, the first thing I noticed right away was that this, there was a repetition of these words, might, power, strength. Did you notice that? Then when I looked at it in the Greek, it wasn't just in the English, some sort of English phenomenon that wasn't there. You look at this and it's right there for you. It makes, this makes you look really smart, by the way. You, 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 it makes you look smarter than you actually are, which is how we always want to be, isn't it? So it tells you how to pronounce each of these things that you don't, you can't read this Greek, admit it. Admit it. Quit trying to fake it. You can't read this Greek, but it's all Greek to you, right? But up here, it tells you how to pronounce it. So if you're studying for your life group, you're, you're, you're a new life group leader, which most of you in here should be within the next two months. Praise God. So if, if you're a new life group leader, uh, then you can go to right here and say, you know what? When I, was, when I was studying this passage, I noticed that in the Greek, the word was endonamusta. And now all of a sudden you sound amazing. You don't know what that is. It just told you how to pronounce it. But the good news is then it also when you click on these numbers, it gives you the definition of it. So if you click on that number for that verb, it gives you the Strong's number, which is a big book. It's a big book on my shelf and my, uh, my, my bookshelf in my office about that big. Uh, it, it's all digitized now and gives you the definition of it and then gives you a, lex a lexicon is just a fancy word for dictionary, basically, to make strong, to endure strength, to strengthen. When you go down to the passive, which this is in the passive, uh, it means to be empowered, basically. Okay, here's what's so fun about that it makes me mad. When I went to get trained to be a pastor, one of the things they told us is for Christmas, for your birthdays, for anniversaries, when you find some money on the street, save it up, buy books. You need books. You're going to teach the rest of your life. You're going to put out content, the equivalent of a couple uh, term papers every week is what a pastor does. 
Every week they put out a couple turn papers worth of content. So you need content coming in and you need authoritative content. So I spent hundreds of dollars on books. One of them was Thayer's Greek Lexicon. One of them was Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. One of them is the, the book you can see here that you can't see the label for on the screen, but it's on your phone, the Englishman's Concordance. I had to get both the Hebrews Englishman's Concordance and the Greek Englishman's Concordance. You stink and get it for free. You rascals don't have to pay a dime. And now I've got, I've got hundreds of dollars invested in books that are sitting over there in that doggone shelf. And you know what I do now? I go online when I study for a sermon. Okay, so that, that really wasn't the point of anything I'm saying. Um, so to be empowered, to be strengthened, this Greek word is the same word dunamis, that from which we get the word dynamite. It is, that word is used in the New Testament and every single time it's used, when it's used in connection with God, it's used about, with his uh, divine power, his dunamis power to actually change the structure of your life. That's this power. Be empowered. If you look at the, let's see if it'll go. If you hover then like this, if you just hover, if you don't want to look at the whole definition, you could just hover over that Greek word and it'll give you what we call a gloss, a quick, easy definition. What's this word mean? So if you're reading in the, in the text and you find a word and you think you know what that means, but you're not sure if the English means the same as the Greek, biblehub.com, interlinear, you hover over the thing and now you've got the definition for your lesson, you've got the definition for your life group, you've got the definition for your children or just for your geeky self. Love you. Geek out for Jesus. Fantastic. So the word here is this next word for power or strength is strength. Absolute strength, power, might, force, ability. Go to the next word that's repeating the power strength um, theme and you get this. Ichthus, iscus, sorry, strength, might, and an absolute might, force, ability. You look down at the word study, properly force to overcome immediate resistance. Now, what am I doing here? Why am I showing you all of this? Paul is stacking up a bunch of words right on top of each other that are overlapping each other in meaning and building up to a conclusion about what we already have in Christ Jesus. We have dynamic, life-changing power. We have overcoming resistance Power. We have absolute perfect dominion power. We have the resurrection power living within us. We have the kind of power that can overcome any resistance from the enemy. When the Spirit of God fills us, when the Spirit of God lives within us, we have power to overcome. And he works hard to find every word in the language as if it's impossible for him to overemphasize how much power you have. Do you see what that's telling us? Uh, so the first thing I want to say to you is God has given us everything we need to win. Uh, 
Second Peter says it a little bit differently, says he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through his great and precious promises in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, right? So it's there as well. You could probably start rattling off some references yourself, just coming to my speaking about God has already given us everything we need to win. Now, we haven't talked about the armor yet. We're going to get there in a minute. But the whole concept behind the armor, which is a metaphor, is this. You don't have to keep losing. Now, we might give in. And in our flesh, we might forget this truth. But part of the key to victorious Christian living is just remembering that victorious Christian living is possible. And it's not only possible, it's desirable. And it's not only desirable, it's God's will for you. It is God's will for you in Christ Jesus that his power overcomes. And there is a whole thread going through the church, in my opinion, where people are being convinced that they just need to keep leaning on grace because they can never get over that sin pattern, that speech pattern, that emotional pattern, that character dysfunction. Not stinking true. (laughs) Not thinking true. Now, will Dave Ward always have something to work on for the rest of his life all the way to the last uh, breath when he's going to, you know, crossing over the river to the other side? Yes. Will there always be something more? Yes. You know, it's a funny image in the New Testament for me, these, these perfect angelic beings when they're crying out. Do you remember this? They're crying out to the Lord in Revelation. They're crying out the same word three times. Do you know it? Right, so it's, it's, it's as if it's not enough to say holy one time. There is a kind of holiness that you can just say holy one time. They have to say holy, holy, holy. And while they're saying that, you remember what they're doing with their bodies? They're covering, covering with their wings. There's this sense that as they approach the holy of holies, the holy one of all holy ones, the holy, 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 holy one, the one for whom that you can continue to say holy into all eternity and you still don't feel like you have expressed his holiness, a holy being who has never sinned in the presence of that holiness feels like there's something lacking. Isn't that amazing? So will there always be something to draw us forward to God? Yes, I think all through eternity we're going to be growing. All through eternity we're going to try to move closer to that great holiness, that beautiful image of who God is. We're going to want to move into that worshipful spirit more and more for all eternity. We're not going to stop. But that doesn't mean you have to stay stuck in a sin pattern, stay stuck in bondage, have to stay stuck in your addiction, have to stay stuck in your dysfunctional relational patterns. No, God's given you everything. You need to win. So receive his strength. That verb was in the passive. Be empowered. Receive his strength. Sometimes we're always telling people, be strong. Just be strong. Just be strong. And it feels like a push, which doesn't usually help. I remember I had a a sort of mentor figure in my life who used to just walk into a room and I was, I was leading a, a group of a group, a small group or developing some leaders, mentoring some people. And he would just blow into the room and say, be encouraged and walk out. Now, I mean, he had a good heart, right? He wants us to be encouraged. He's trying to say, love what you're doing, whatever. But do you think you feel encouraged when somebody says that? Be encouraged. With what? (laughs) Right? I'm, I'm as encouraged as I'm going to be unless you add some kind of encouragement into my life, right? Be strong. 
How? Stop. Remember, refocus. It's his strength, his might, his power. Do you already know that, many of you? Yes. Do you need to remind yourself of that every single hour of every living day? Yes, because I need the every hour. I need the every hour. Okay. Uh, Second thing, the enemy's ways are predictable and preventable. The enemy's ways are predictable and preventable. There was a word I skipped because I I thought you were ready for a point. You were to say, Dave, get to a point. So I skipped over to a point and got out of my geek land. I'm going back to geek land now. The word for schemes here in the New Testament, if you click on it, it's, there's your Strong's number. If you wanted to reference it in the Englishman's Concordance, methodia, not methodos, which is what we get most of our use of method from. Methodia, if you could read this, you could look it in your phone and, and click on it yourself as well, is a scheming craftiness or deceit. Properly, a predictable method used in organized evil doing. Ooh, that's a good definition. A predictable method in organized evil doing, like the Godfather. There's certain things that just work, you know? So in the Englishman's Concordance, if you wanted to do a word study on this, you'll notice it only happens twice in all the New Testament. That word's only used twice. Both of them in the book of Ephesians for the predictable schemes of the evil one. So it's not just method neutral, it's method evil, but it's predictable. So that's why from that word, um, I say to you, the the ways of the enemy are predictable and preventable. Would you please remember the enemy's tricks? I think Christians need to remind themselves regularly of the way Satan works. He's not as creative as we sometimes want to make him out to be. I mean, it's kind of almost always the same. He deceives. Jesus tells us he's the father of lies. Revelation tells us that that great dragon, that ancient serpent, Revelation 12, 9, was hurled down, right? And since then has been leading the whole populated world astray. So he deceives. That's one of his tricks. He twists. He contorts. Sometimes he deceives by adding a word or taking a word away. Sometimes he deceives by asking a question. Will you really die? Sowing a seed of doubt. Was that really the Lord's voice? Are you sure you heard from God? What what if you're wrong? What if you're just making that up? He works in very predictable ways. He's the accuser. Satanas. He's the accuser of the brethren, right? So he will accuse you. He will shame you. He will attack you. He will grab onto any mental resources that he can get a hold of that he knows beat you down and he'll press that button again and again and again and again. That's how he works. 
He's going to accuse you about any sin you commit. He's going to accuse you about any mistake you make relationally. He's going to accuse you about any foible you have in your personality. He's going to accuse you about your looks. He's going to accuse you about your intelligence. He's going to accuse you about your fruitfulness or your lack of. He's going to accuse you about your self-perception. He does it all the time. Is it new? So he deceives, he accuses, he divides. One of the enemy's great tools is to find some leverage point of conflict among believers and drive a wedge as deep as he can and lean all his weight against it until everything falls apart. That's why there's so much in the New Testament about forgiveness and reconciliation, so much about the processes that we need to take to make sure that we don't allow that divisive, divisive spirit that Satan wants to sow among us to divide what God is bringing together. There is something powerful about unity. Unity in a marriage, unity in a home, unity in a neighborhood, unity in a community, unity across racial divides, Unity across economic strata, unity across differences of opinions politically, unity uh, in a church, unity among churches, unity across denominations, unity across geopolitical forces, which we're seeing that happening right now, that divisive spirit, what that can do and threaten the whole world. There is something powerful, though, about unity. And the way he wants to steal, kill and destroy is to deceive us and to accuse us and to divide us. When we see that happening, we have to name it for what it is. It is not just some accident. It is not just some happening. It's not just some human event. We are waging war against cosmic powers. When your marriage starts to get tense and angry, you aren't just in an argument. You are in a war and you're not in a war with each other. You're in a war with the enemy and he's turning you against each other like any good spy would love to do. When you start to see divisiveness happen in this community and you hear whispering about this leader or that leader or you hear gossiping about that member or that member, you need to know you are in a war. But he's given us everything we need to win that war. And we can prevent it and we can predict it if we just remember what it is. Okay, I need to speed up, don't I, don't I, Christian? I need to speed up just a little bit? Okay, I'm having fun. Um, the armor, then, the third thing I want to tell us, the armor empowers us. This is why we're doing this verse today after Sunday. The armor empowers us to guard our first love. He says it gives us power to withstand, it gives us strength, it gives us absolute dominion, it gives us perfect might, it's the might of the Lord that, that comes to us, that allows us to see the enemy schemes for what it is, but then he tells us to stand firm, and when you've done everything you can to stand, then stand firm then, right? And why are we standing? And what is the enemy trying to do above all else? All the way back to the garden. Can't you eat from the, the fruit of the, all the trees in the garden? Why can't you eat? Oh, no, 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 no. We can eat from everything. We just can't eat from these. Well, well, why won't he let you do that? What's wrong with these? They're beautiful. They're good. You won't die. What's happening? 
not just a temptation to sin. It is a chipping away at the confident belief that God is good and that God is loving and that when God withholds, it's not because he's stingy, but because he knows what's best. It's out of his generous, loving heart that he withholds for, until the right time. So what is Satan trying to do? Attack their first love. And that's what he's going to do for us. He's going to deceive us. He's going to accuse us. And he's going to divide us. And all of it in an attempt, hopefully, to get at that first love. Why do you think the, the church is always under such criticism? Why do you think it keeps getting put in such negative light in the media? Why do you think you haven't seen a movie that made a pastor look good ever in your lifetime unless it was a black and white movie or it was one of the movies that we happen to touch somehow from the people here, right? And well, other than God's Not Dead, what movies have you seen that make pastors look good, right? Why? Because the enemy doesn't just want to make the church look bad. He knows that when you make the church look bad, that makes God look bad or makes God look like he doesn't even exist and doubt the goodness and the love of God, which undercuts our first love. Do you see what's going on? And so Paul uh, is writing to the church in Ephesus to whom John writes and says, return to your first love, who is surrounded by the sexuality that you heard about Sunday and that we talked about last week, that surrounded by rampant sexuality, temple prostitution, gambling of all different kinds, extreme wealth, lewd behavior, and people are being pulled away saying, well, why can't I touch that? Why can't I taste that? Why can't I enjoy that? Why can't I have the life they have? God isn't, is God not good? Doesn't God want what, what is best for me? If it feels good, how can it be wrong? And the armor empowers us to guard our first love. So please, so please, I think one of the great lessons to the church of Ephesus is resist losing love. Why are you standing? What are you standing against? What are you holding up against? What are you protected against? All the schemes of the enemy to try to reduce the burning passion of your first love for Jesus Christ. He wants to reduce that love. If he can reduce your love to religiosity, he wins. If he can reduce your love to an obligation to come to church, he wins. If he can reduce your love to a checklist of a better tithe or maybe I better go to that event or I should, I should lead a life group. Pastor Dave said I should lead a life group. Yeah, we'd love for you to lead a life group. Why? Because it'll be one of the most fulfilling things you ever do in your life. It will undercut loneliness. It will increase fulfillment. It will surround you with relationships and friendships. It will launch you into a fulfillment of your gifts and joys. Not because it's a checklist. It will be a way of loving God and letting God love you back. That community will become one of the best supports of your life you've ever seen. They'll be the ones that'll go all the way to the grave for you. It's not because it's something we ought to do. It's because we love Jesus. He told us all kinds of things about community that we needed to hear that I don't have time to share. Guard against losing your first love. 
Guard against it. Resist any diminishment of your love for Christ. And you have to be vigilantly on guard. Don't think you're immune to having a 10 dialed down to a 9 and you think it's still a 10. Down to an 8 and you don't know that it's not a 10. Down to a 7 and you don't recognize that it's not a 10. Down to a 6 and you don't remember what 10 felt like. Resist losing love. And that's what I think the armor of God is actually equipping us to do. So Christian's going to talk to us and he's going to give us some of the historical background that helps that come to life. But keep that in mind. It's about maintaining our first love. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Um, yes, I have the fun job of talking to you all about ancient Roman armor. Because Paul's writing this while he's in prison, and so most likely he's looking over at a centurion. Kind of like that's his picture as he's writing this down. So we're going to start in verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we have a picture here of what a Roman centurion would have looked like. And one thing you actually notice is there's not a sword in this picture. And they did carry swords, but they weren't actually attached to the belt. They had them over a strap that went over their shoulders, so it would come kind of over the shoulder right here. Which, first, before we dive into the belt of truth, this begs the question, what does the belt do on the Roman soldier? Um, it had some minor practical applications to help them adjust the length of their tunic and it held a dagger, but it doesn't seem that's doing anything that important. But yet Paul says that we need to have the belt of truth around us. But actually, in the society of that day, it denoted something of the utmost importance. They would wear this belt with the Baltius, regardless of if they were in armor or not. It designated that they were the ones protecting Rome and out conquering new territory for it. This belt didn't so much do anything for the armor as it set them apart from the average civilian. In the same way, we're set apart from the world by the truth of God. The Ephesians, they were called out of the world, out of that sexual immorality of their society, and they, because they chose to follow a different path, that path being the one that was set for them by what God said was true and what God said was real. The word truth here in verse 14 is aletheia, which is what is true in any matter of consideration. It's not what is true in your culture. It's not like cuisine. You know, what you may think is good, maybe I don't think is good because of the way I grew up. But that's not the truth that is get, Paul is getting at here. Rather, it's the truth that if once you wipe everything else away, stands and remains. Regardless of where you're born in the world, the earth rotates around the sun. You can't escape that. That's the truth of God. It sets us apart, regardless of what culture says, what culture says is fun and good. The truth of God sets us apart, and it doesn't change. Everything else can change. The United States is very different from Ephesus, 
but the truth of God still sets us apart. Um, so next, back, yeah, is we put on the breastplate of righteousness. So Roman soldiers typically either wore chainmail, or they were what you kind of see in this picture, which is uh, a scale of metal that is bolted onto a leather kind of vest that they would put on. This is probably what Paul is referring to when he refers to a breastplate. And the goal of the breastplate is to protect your body and your vital organs from any spear thrust or um, sword thrust of the enemy. In the same way, when we walk out a righteous life, when we follow that which God has commanded us to do and told us to do, we're protected against the attacks of the enemy because when they come, they're going to bounce off. But if we give into sin, if we remove one of those metal plates from our armor, all of a sudden we've created a weakness that the enemy's jabs can get in and affect our lives. And that's what happens when we give into sin. So we need to be guarded and set apart for righteousness. So verse 15. Oh. And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And this is probably something we don't think about that much, but shoes are one of the most important parts of military gear. They're the one thing that's going to get used every single day. Regardless of what the soldier does, whether they're in camp, marching, or in battle, they're going to use their shoes. The Roman shoes were called caligia, made from thick leather with hot nails on the bottom for grip, which you can see here. This was done so that regardless of what terrain they were on, their shoes would grip the ground as they went across it. Whether they were covering mountains or going through rivers, they could trust in their shoes to grip the ground so they wouldn't slip and fall. In the same way, the gospel message is the basis of everything for us. First and foremost, it brings peace between us and God. It, Christ's death on the cross conquers that gap so that we know that we stand forgiven and at peace with God so that when issues come up between our fellow brothers and sisters, when the enemy tries to show, sow dissension between us, we know that we can forgive much and have peace with them because we've been forgiven much by our Father. As Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. In, so verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can distinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Interesting note about shields is that they're not purely for our own protection. I think we often think of them as that. When we think about the army, we think about, this is my shield, which I'm going to defend myself. But in battle, you're not usually fighting by yourself. You're usually fighting as part of a formation. So your shield is not just for you, but it's to help protect the person on either side of you and the people behind you. The shield that Paul was most likely referring to um, is this one you can kind of see in this photo. But it's a tall shield that's rounded. It's called a scotum. And on the front of it, there's a shield boss, which I'll talk about in a second. One of probably the coolest formations the Romans did with this um, is the testudo, or the, tortle, or the tortoise. Um, and you can see it here. 
It's where you have an entire formation, and on th three sides around, and on the top, people hold their shields. What's interesting about this is it requires a lot of coordination to pull this off. And every soldier needs to know where their shield is supposed to be. If you're the soldier in the front, you have to know you can't lift your shield. Regardless of what gets dropped down on top of you, it's not your job to stop it. It's the job of the guy right behind you who's holding the shield like this. So if you lift your shield to say to block what's coming, you've now exposed everyone else in your regiment to the attack that's coming in from the front. So by not trusting in them to do their job, you've actually created exposure and cost your entire regiment their, their lives. In the same way, our faith is not something that just for us, but it's also something for our brother and our sister on either side of us. This is why we need community. We need those life groups that Pastor Jay was just talking about. Those are the people that when we're being attacked, their shields protect us from those assaults. When they're being attacked, our shields are the ones protecting them. We stand together. We fight together. They're the people that when you're going through trials and tribulations, you go to. They pray for you. They build you up and bring you back to God. That you're encouraged by their faith and they're encouraged by yours. And when we walk together as a formation, we can overcome any enemy in front of us. The second thing that was interesting about this verse is that Paul describes us being able to distinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So the shields the Romans used, they were wood, and they were encased on the outside with leather. And leather has an interesting product of being able to— it doesn't burn easily. So when it gets hit by a flaming arrow, the arrow is probably just going to go out. And this brings actually to an interesting point about flaming arrows, is that they're not more effective against a trained military unit than a normal arrow is. They don't increase the damage done as long as you don't freak out when it's coming and run away. In other words, the only advantage they have is that against an untrained people who are unequipped and unready for battle, they'll sow confusion and guarantee victory. But against an army that knows that they're equipped with a shield that can repel those darts, they're effectively useless. So, when we stand together side by side, trusting in our brothers and sisters with our faith in Christ, those flaming arrows that look so impressive aren't going to be able to do anything. All right. So verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet protects the head. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 describes the helmet as the hope of salvation. Our hope in salvation is promised by the gospel and protects us from the attacks of the enemy and any despair he would try to sow at us. Any attempts he would try to do to bring doubt in our minds that we're truly forgiven and loved, anything he would try to sow any doubt in how God thinks about us, is taken away by that hope of salvation we have in Christ. Because we know that we can trust the word, Trust what the Word says. Trust that Christ has died, has, His righteousness has covered us, His blood has set us free, and before God, we stand redeemed. Which brings us to the last weapon in this arsenal, which is the sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword 
It's the method by which the Spirit does his work, that being the word. It's the method by which the Spirit turns our hearts back to God, brings our hearts back into alignment with God. The method by which the Spirit transforms us, being more and more like Christ each day, is the process by which sanctification is wrought. Um, Hebrews 4.12 describes the Word of God as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Just a funny little side note here. Growing up, I thought a two-edged sword was like Darth Maul's lightsaber. Had two blades on either side. Turns out it's not it. Um, It's just a normal sword that you're thinking of with both sides are sharpened. Funny the things we believe um, when we're kids. But the Word and the Spirit bind the rest of these together. The Word gives us the truth, shows us how to live a righteous life. In it is contained the message of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing the Word, and we are assured of our salvation because we can trust in the Word. So then the question becomes, how do we set our armor into action? Now that we've equipped, how do we put it on, and how do we use it? And we can look at the way Paul closes out this passage saying, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Prayer is how we do battle, but much more than that, how we commune with God and talk to Him. We search the Scriptures, but wisdom and understanding come from the Spirit in prayer. So how then can we put on the armor of God? I think going back to the idea of returning to our first love, it starts with just spending time in the Word and prayer. At the beginning of this year, Pastor Rice challenged all of us to read through the New Testament once a month. I think that that's how we can look at this passage and go back to it. I have a friend, and his prayer to start this year was for the Lord to re-engage his heart with the Word and let him care about it again. And over the course as he's been going through this challenge and saying that prayer, his love of the Word has been re-engaged. He's desiring to spend time in it day after day, morning after morning. He's excited to get up and dive into it. It can be something as simple as that. As asking the Spirit each day to show us something from the Word that's going to transform our lives and point us back to Christ. That that day will make us more like our Creator and the one who has set us free. I'm going to call Pastor Dave back up on stage now. He's going to close us out. But... You know, as, as Chris is preaching, I'm just remembering he was, uh, I don't think we did that, do we? But uh, he was just in our Activate program, not too many. How, how long ago was it, Selena, that you two were in the Activate program? Two years? Three years? Just two, three years ago, they were in an internship with us. He's just coming fully into his own and his gift. It's so fun to see that. So, much rich, so many rich things in what was just shared. And I want to draw out just a couple of them for our application, just as in, in, a, in some ways in a story-based way. I was dealing with a young adult not too long ago that out of, they were discouraged and out of their mouth were coming these kind of words. I'm just so stinking stupid. Why am I so stupid? What's wrong with me? I could give you a list of other things that just started tumbling out. And uh, so there I am standing with this young adult. What do you do? Well, it's a Christian. You point them to the truth. 
right? The, the truth, the belt of truth is falling off right now. They're being deceived. You got to speak truth back into them. Does that sound true to you? It feels true, absolutely true, they said. Well, what's God's truth about you? Let's start speaking out loud God's truth about you. Who are you? You're set apart. You're, you're a child of God. You're part of a royal priesthood. You, you're set apart for glory. It's already finished. It's already covered. It's already over. It's already won. You're victorious, right? Uh, you're a glorious being. You're, you're, it, it went on and on. Uh, sometimes we just have to speak truth to ourselves. Myself, getting ready this morning, getting ready to go, I just felt some of those attacking thoughts coming in. I just started talking out loud. I think everybody was out, I don't know what y'all were doing, and getting breakfast or something, clanking dishes, and I'm just speaking out loud. I'm a son of God, doggone it. He has said over my life, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm not going to listen to that junk. Sometimes you kind of can intentionally walk through some of the pieces of the armor, that hope of salvation. The old Christians back in, in the Reformation times called that the assurance of salvation, that the Spirit lets us know that we know that we know that we are indeed children of God. And we can hold on to that assurance when we're attacked for some small thing that's been done. But one of the most beautiful parts of what uh, Christian was sharing for me was that, that testudo. Is that right? That tortoise? Tortoise formation, wasn't that incredible? Didn't that give you a great picture of who we're supposed to be? Now, Alcoholics Anonymous knows this sometimes better than we do. You tell somebody who's going through recovery, when you start feeling pulled toward that again, you need to reach out to somebody else and help them. You need to pray for somebody else. You need to reach out to somebody else. You need to do something for somebody else. One of the most powerful things that happens is what we do, we get out of our own world into somebody else's that helps us. Who am I supposed to be holding the shield for? Uh, sometimes when I'm dealing with men or dealing with lust, you know, and they're, they're they're out where their eyes go and how they think with their mind. And in our culture, it's increasingly difficult for men to stay pure. It's increasingly difficult. It's everywhere. I say, well, when you're being pulled, here's what I, what I tell them to do. Just watch the other men. When somebody walks in, it's dressed incredibly immodestly. Just watch the other guy's eyes. And women, you already know this, don't you? It's obvious. When you look at those other guys' eyes, you'll just see how obvious it is that they haven't trained their eyes, that they haven't made a covenant with their eyes, that they won't set something they shouldn't set before it. It'll be so obvious you'll realize you can't hide anymore. You think you're hiding. You think you're just taking... No, you're not. And then immediately turn to prayer for them. Pray for, e pray for each man whose eyes you see. Going. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, that's going to transform how you are in that situation. Why? You're starting to hold up a shield for somebody else. You're not just locked up in your own world. You're paying attention to others who are around you. We need to be careful that we don't forsake the gathering together of believers, right? We desperately need each other. Well, I, I hope this was a, an enjoyable foray into a very familiar passage. What's the goal of this? Number one, to remind us to make sure we don't lose our first love and give us an equipment that we already know we have. But number two, just to talk, just to show us there is no passage of scripture that is so famous or so well known that you can't find something new in it. You could go through that New Testament 12 times this year, you won't be done. Pastor Rice went through it 62 times last year. He's still not done. 
And when we were talking just the other day, scriptures was just tumbling out of his mouth. Every other few sentences, just more scriptures, just more scriptures. It's like it's now the language he's speaking. He's reclaiming that again. He'll be speaking Sunday morning. Pastor Rice will be here uh, Sunday morning to continue the Ephesus piece talking about um, returning to our first works. Pastor James talked about first love. He's going to talk about first works. Next Wednesday, Pastor Bryson will talk about the church in Smyrna. So he's going to talk about the letter to the church in Smyrna. So good things coming. Would you stand with me as we move towards a close? I just, uh, I want to give you just a, uh, just a couple minutes here to have a personal moment with the Lord. Just a few moments. I actually I want you to allow God to bring to mind any place in which you are being deceived Accused or divided? Would you allow him to do that? Is your confidence being diminished? Is your hope being attacked? Is your faith being weakened? Is an untruth sinking into you and you're starting to feel like it's true, even though intellectually you know it's not true? Is there a brother or sister in Christ that there's been a wedge driven between? What's the enemy doing? I'm not asking you to listen for that, for you to feel bad. No, remember, we're in a war. Not just you. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. It's predictable and it's preventable. We can put on that armor right now and start speaking words of faith over that. We can start praying prayers of faith over that. We can start living victoriously toward that. We can remember the words of the New Testament that have taught us what to do with that. We know when to leave our gift at the altar and go find that sister, go find that brother. We know what that means, right? I want you to listen for the Lord's truth. What does the Spirit want to say to you tonight? Remember this whole series that we're in is listen. May he who has ears hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The last question for you to bring to the Lord. Lord, is my love as strong for you as it has ever been. You say that your way to him. Was there ever a time in your life when your first love was stronger? Now remember, this is not a guilt question. We're just paying attention to what's going on. This is a war. Nobody's blaming you. Nobody's guilting you. Nobody wants you to. Actually, I think if you feel bad, it won't take you the right direction. Ask him to give you that longing. If it's true and you'd say, boy, you know what? I used to be a 10. I'm an eight. Ask him right now. Return me to my first love. Increase my longing. Strengthen my faith. Speak truth to me. Give me that breastplate of righteousness. Ready me with the gospel. Let me strike with that sword of the word. Put it readily in my hand. What do I need, Lord? What do I need to strengthen again my first love? I believe if we ask him, he'll do it. Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room that you would draw us like moths to the flame. 
You are a consuming fire and we want to be consumed by you. Draw us to you. The difference is, of course, you burn in a bush and it doesn't burn up. You don't destroy when you consume. You glorify. Would you glorify us? Would you turn us into what you meant for us to be glorious beings reflecting your own glory? Because any glory we have would only come from you and it would just get reflected right back onto you. Would you make us who you long for us to be? Give us that joyful love for you, not a religious spirit, not a dutiful spirit, not an obligated spirit, not a resentful spirit, a loving heart, a heart of flesh full of your spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a few moments before you go. Say hi to somebody you haven't seen in a while or meet somebody new. This is our spiritual family. Thank you for being here this Wednesday night. So great to see you.